Greetings, travelers. Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Ni hao. If you've been following us on Twitter or checking in on our website, then you will know that we have a very mid autumny story for you today. Because autumn ain't over yet. <laughs> so this is an older story which exists in many formats as one of the origin stories for the Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival, also known as the Mooncake Festival. Scholars believe the origins of the festival date back at least 2,000 years with the story coming from the Tang Dynasty, um, which is 618 to about 907 CE, and even as far back as the time of Emperor Yao, which is 2,346 BCE. I like the sound of a whole festival for cake, um, but do you know what <laughs> mooncake, like what is mooncake made of? Is it like a fruit stuffing? Is it just like a chocolate cake? Do you know what it is? So I've seen mooncakes that have various different types of fillings. There are ones that have chocolate, ones that have fruit fillings, one that have red bean paste. I think it just depends on what your preference is. Traditionally, mooncakes are made with lotus seed paste, red bean paste, or some kind of mixed nuts. Mmm. Sounds yummy. <laughs> Though I would always pick chocolate, to be honest. Yeah. Chocolate forever. So there is no one consistent story with clear origins, but that is the beauty of folklore. One of the older mentions of this story comes from the Gyukong, Return of the Hidden, which is a div divination text from the Zhao dynasty. It was found in a bog in 1993 after being lost for over 2,000 years. There are 64 hexagrams with a story on each of them. Hexagram 54 is the returning maiden story of how Chang'e stole the elixir of mortality and used the hexagram to determine where she needs to go and ultimately decided to flee to the moon. I love this idea that we found this story in a bog. Like, I just imagined the archaeologist or whoever found it had to make a deal with some hag in the swamp for these <laughs> stories, and that they're still on their own adventure to, like, break a curse. It's my headcanon, everybody. <laughs> I'm like, well, global warming. <laughs> um, so this story, I've heard it tons of times before. I've heard lots of different variations of this story. There's Netflix's Over the Moon, I know there's a recent YA fantasy novel called Daughter of the Moon Goddess. So while I've heard this story before, it's really coming back to light at the moment. Um, and then, of course, the Moon Festival, I think, just ended. We know dates. So the Mid-Autumn Festival <laughs> just happened in September. Uh, so it's still fresh in people's minds. So the Mooncake Festival has happened recently in the fall time. Uh, but we have decided to cover the story a bit later in the season. But... Without further ado, Fox, take us away with the Lady of the Moon. Always a disclaimer, we're doing our best to pronounce these names. I've looked at lots of videos, lots of analysis videos of people talking about this story. Um, so please forgive us if we pronounce the names completely wrong. We're trying our best. Once there was a famed archer called Hui, who was married to a beautiful woman named Chunga. They lived a happy life until one day, all ten suns appeared in the sky at the same time. Now usually the suns cross the sky one by one, but that day they decided to all appear. Some say the suns were creations of the gods. Others say they were the mischievous sons of the Jade Emperor. They were powerful and bright, ten orbs of relentless heat that dried up the earth's waters, destroyed crops, and burnt people. Depending on the version you know or read, Either the gods called upon Hui to shoot them down, or his people begged him to do something, or they would all die. Faithfully, the archer listened and tried begging the sons to stop. He threatened them, and eventually he shot them down, all but one of the sons. 
As the suns fell, each turned into a three-legged raven. As a reward, he was given a potion of immortality from the gods. However, not wanting to leave his wife, he hid the elixir and continued to live his life. I really like this idea that they thought there was 10 suns, or at least how the story goes, that there was 10 suns to, and that we had probably 10 suns rotating the earth. Like that image just seems really funny to me. Um, (laughs) But besides that- Not so funny when they burn you to a crisp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why we got the archer here, man. He's going to pick up the slack for us. On that note, (laughs) Hawkeye could definitely learn a thing or two from him. I mean, Hawkeye is still one of my favorite Avengers. But he cannot shoot down sun, so I think he could pick up some stuff. But do you think he had, like, a magic bow to do that? Or was he just that good of an archer where he could totally shoot down the sun in one go? Well, the versions of this story differ greatly, as we're going to see. And in one version, he and his wife are actually gods. Ooh! Um, or at least members of the Jade Palace. And so they are not kicked out, but they're called upon to help deal with this issue. Or in one of them, the archer decides to help because he sees the mortals are dying and then they get banished. So there's lots of different versions of it, but the ones where they are actually gods makes the most sense to me. Um, Because as a punishment for killing the emperor's sons, they are banished onto earth and they both lose their immortality, which makes this elixir even more fantastic for the wife to steal. Um, So it depends. I think either it was he was just a really good archer you know, folktale physics so he could shoot down the sun, or he was actually a god and he was able to shoot it down because of that. Fair enough, then. Uh, I can (laughs) see now why the elixir of life is even more uh, sought after. His wife does get a really bad rap in some of them where she just straight up steals it. So this next part is quite wildly contested. In some version of the tale, his wife, Chunky, waited until her husband was gone before stealing the elixir and drinking it. Um, And as a punishment, the gods exiled her to the moon to live out her life in solitude. In a completely different version, um, her husband's nemesis broke into their house looking for the elixir while her husband was away. And so she drank it to stop him from having it. And if we're going along the storyline of they were immortals who lost their immortality, in one of the stories, she steals it and drinks it because she missed being an immortal. She missed being a god and she wanted to go back. Some days you just have a hankering to be immortal again, you know? It hits, hits us at the best of times. Well, I mean, it must suck. I feel like to go from mortal to immortal is fine, but to go from immortal to mortal isn't all it's cracked up to be. Like, I know people, when they have their va- the vampire trends, people are always like, oh my god, he lived forever and now he just wants to be human and have human experiences. But being human isn't all that great. Um, probably not even in, like, <laughs> the past when you didn't really have modern technology or access to hundreds of thousands of yeah. books on your phone or hundreds of thousands of different songs, movies, whatever. We just want to glamorize it because we want to make it feel like it's great to be human, (laughs) not just like we make up these fantastical creatures who can do all these things that we can't, and we're like, oh, but we're still human. We should make human the special species for (laughs) no reason at all. But not all of the versions have her being the bad guy. So in still another version, her husband became a cruel tyrant who got the elixir for nefarious reasons. She drank the potion to stop her husband from being a tyrant forever and to give the mortals a chance at actually, you know, living a life that was free of torture and pain. Regardless of what happens, though, it's the truth that she was trapped on the moon all by herself. Eventually, the gods allowed her pet rabbit to come up with her and her husband did forgive her. 
In one story, the queen mother of the Western Paradise gives him a cake that lets him withstand the heat of the sun and sends him up to the last sand. Don't know what purpose this served besides now he's also on one of the planets that's in constant rotation opposite to her. <laughs> um, while more common stories say that he began putting out mooncakes for her and that this tradition ended up being the origin of the Mid-Autumn Festival in China. Do you remember the, the show Sagwa? I do. Her brother and her little sister and her parents. Yeah. Sagwa, you're my best friend. There was 100% an episode where they talked about the mooncakes. Mm-hmm. They must have covered this story, but all I remember was the mooncake and how darn <laughs> good it looked and how much I was like, I want to eat that. And that brings me to the question, why is animated food always look so amazingly good? Oh, I know. I have a couple of people I follow from China and Hong Kong on Instagram. And during the Mooncake Festival, they were putting up all these photos of the mooncakes. They were gifted from family and friends. Mm -hmm. And they looked so good. Like, I really want one now. This is really making me hungry. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is the story that most people know. It ends with the Mid-Autumn Festival. However, in the Chinese fairy book edited by R. Wilhelm, The story continues, and it kind of goes in unexpected ways with not much happening, but still something happening. Mm. So the story continues when a Tang Dynasty emperor hosts a dinner with two sorcerers. During the dinner, one of the sorcerers took out his bamboo staff and threw it in the air, where it transformed before their eyes into a heavenly bridge. Astonished, the emperor and the two sorcerers climbed up and were amazed to see that it led to the moon. They made their way to a great castle, where there was a sign that said, The Spreading Halls of Crystal Cold. Next to the sign was a massive cassia tree in full bloom. And next to that, they were even more amazed to see that there was a man who was hacking at the tree. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, (laughs) I love this image that there's like an emperor and the sorcerer. In my head, they're a little drunk. And the sorcerer just throws up his bamboo, and he wasn't even expecting it, and all of them are just staring, going, whoa, there's a bridge now. He's like, yeah, I totally meant to do that. That's 100% what I meant. And they're just casually like, should we, like, you know, stick with our country? Like, uh, you are the emperor. Should you kind of do this? No, let's just walk across this bridge to the moon and see what happens. (laughs) Because, holy crap, that would take so long to walk. It would, but also folklore physics. It was probably like a five-minute walk. I know, but like, you know me. I'm always trying to figure out the logic to all of this and logistics. Well, I want the math then. How long would it take to walk to the moon, Sparrow? Okay, well, a quick Google search and kind of some quick calculations estimate like <laughs> if they're kind of doing like a casual walk, it's probably going to take them nine and a half years to walk uh-huh. to the moon. I have to assume that if he's got a magic bridge to begin with, that there's some sort of moving sidewalk. So maybe they can cut that in half if there's just a moving sidewalk while they're walking. (laughs) An escalator to the moon. If you're going to go to the moon, that seems like a pretty good way to go. And we're also ignoring the fact they would instantly die in space. Or the fact that if the bridge was stationary, it would lose contact with both the moon and the Earth pretty quickly because of the rotation. I guess, yeah. So So maybe it's not the most logical thing. My biggest problem is that apparently, like, her husband doesn't really get to see her again. I mean, there are a few stories that do mention a reunion where they do get to see each other once a year, and that's during the Mid-Autumn Festival. Aww. 
but if these random sorcerers can find a way to get to her, I feel like other people could probably also figure it out. <laughs> yeah, he right? he should probably be able to figure it out, but, you know. Well, the sun is a lot farther than the moon uh, is from the earth. <laughs> Just a longer trek, what can we say? Well, yeah, but now he's stuck on the sun, according to some stories, so. Anyways, now that I have needlessly picked this apart with <laughs> when you can easily answer with folklore physics, what happens next? <laughs> Well, the sorcerer that had made the bridge looked at his companions and told them that this must be the man of the moon. He had to cut down the tree once every thousand years, otherwise it would grow so big it would overshadow the moon itself. The man paid no attention to his visitors, and so they continued into the grand palace. When they got there, they stopped to marvel around, and the lady of the moon came to greet them in a rainbow gown. She welcomed them with her attendants who all flew down on white birds. Everyone sang and danced under the cassia tree until they couldn't dance anymore. Next to them, a rabbit was grounding herbs in the dark. This is where the dark side of the moon is. Afterwards, the three men made their way home. Now, anytime you look at the full moon, you can see the outline of the rabbit and his mortar still crushing up those herbs. And there is a separate story that explains why the rabbit is on the moon as well. Um, and there's also the, the Japanese story about the... Uh, the rabbit making mochi on the moon. So there's lots of different stories to explain this, but I will absolutely 100% vouch for the fact that on days when you can see the full moon and it's nice and bright, there is an outline of what appears to be a rabbit and, um, and a mortar, which is really mind-blowing. I have to check this out. I've never really stopped to look at it. When I think of the moon, I think, well, one, of course, it's made of cheese. That's a given. Uh, but then I also know there's like a man in the moon. And I also thought Jack and Jill went to the moon. I, that's what I was told, that you can see Jack and Jill up there. But I've never been told to look for a rabbit. So I think I'll do that tonight. Yes, look for a rabbit. Because I, listen, I thought it was crazy. But I've seen pictures online. Um, I think we did a Twitter post about it a while back. And then also just with my own eyes, I've seen it. What? You heard it here, folks. Fox saw a rabbit on the moon. She was either really hungry that day or she's telling the truth. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone should go outside and look at the moon anyway. Go check out the night sky. It's worth doing, especially if you can get away from the city and the light pollution. It's really pretty. And that's the story. <laughs> Yay! I like this story. It, it feels like I've heard elements of this before, but it's nice mm -hmm. to hear it's in entirety. It's a really cute story. I'm always here for a tragic love story. I mean, this was very difficult almost to to write just because I didn't want to leave out some of the important variations. And it's one of those stories where everyone will have a different version of it and everyone will remember a different version. They've heard a different version. I mean, I remember that during um, the Mid-Autumn Festival, sometimes during school, we would have to read picture books about it when we were younger. I mean, I don't know about most people's schools, but my school is very culturally uh, diverse. So we would often read storybooks or watch videos or animated shows about specific holidays as they came. And this is one that I wanted to make sure that I included lots of the different variations because on its own, the story is quite simple. But when you take into account all of the different ways the story gets told, you can paint a really different picture, um, specifically the addition at the end by R. Will that was edited by R. Wilhelm. It's kind of an addition that doesn't necessarily add much to the story about the lady of the moon 
but it is one of the variations that continues after. So I thought it'd be, you know, smart to add that in just because it's part of the one, it's part of the story that people haven't really heard before because it was completely new to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas we've all heard about the lady of the moon being lonely and having a rabbit. And sometimes we hear about her husband, but he's famous in his own right as well. So just interesting, I think, to always find something that most people can tell you. I'm sure if you found any small child, um, they could probably tell you some variation of this story just because it's so popular. And they always do episodes now, I think, of moon festivals. And they do episodes with New Year's and all the different Holi and Diwali and all of that stuff. So I just wanted to pick a story that I thought was interesting, but also so, so, so many different types. Did you see the Netflix series Maya and the Three? I have not yet. Um, It is on my watch list, though. Okay. So I won't talk about that, then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I will say, going in another direction, I do really like the idea that there's a lady on the, the moon and her husband or her lover or whoever is on the sun. Because I feel like that I've heard that before in other folklore, that the sun mm-hmm. and the moon are a, a couple or they're related somehow and they're just kind of always like on opposite sides of each other because uh, they can never really see each other during the same time. So I always mm-hmm. really like stories about them because it's such a cute idea <laughs> and always ends in some tragedy. I like this version a lot more than I like the version where he just gets murdered horrifically. Yeah. After his wife abandons him. Yeah, that one is not as great, but... (laughs) As fun as murder and just dying is, not really, but you know. um, (laughs) It's it's more interesting when they stay alive to do things. Yes. And also, I do agree with what you're saying. Like, the whole forbidden love aspect is so cute to some degree. Because I would Mm -hmm. never want it for myself, but I like reading about it. I like the idea that, you know, she's displayed in most of the stories as kind of this villain who stole the elixir. And I like folktales that aren't just, these are the good guys and they're always good. And these are the bad guys and they're always bad. I like the ones where there's a little bit of nuance here and there. So her to out of like, you know, maybe it's out of character for her. Maybe she was jealous. Maybe she was tired of being mortal. Whatever the reasoning is, um, it's that she decided she was going to do something and it ended up in exile. And in my headcanon, she is the mother of the, the bamboo princess. She jumped countries. She went yes. from China to um, Japan. Yes. I mean, I'm here for this continuity. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in a, in a fun fact, um, the moon goddess, she was one of the original influences for Sailor Moon, who we now know is directly influenced by Kaguya, the bamboo princess as well. So... Mm-hmm. It's always fun to see which cultures get included in current modern day stories. If you want to know what we're talking about, we're talking about the story of Kaguya, and we cover that in greater detail in a previous episode, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, and that's Kaguya the Suitor Games is what we titled that episode. So go <laughs> ahead and check that out. We could talk about this to the moon and back, but we do not want to hold you here for that long. So let's head on over to our five fantastic finds. Number one, as we discussed earlier, when you look at the full moon, it almost looks like there is a rabbit using a mortar on it, and this was a common interpretation for Chinese and East Asian cultures. But unsurprisingly, that is not the only pattern or symbol that people have seen on the full moon. For example, many European cultures see a man carrying a bundle of sticks. In India, a set of handprints is seen, 
which were left by Astangi Mata, the mother of all living things, as she said farewell to her child, Chanda. According to Hawaiian folklore, you can see a tree on the moon, and New Zealand stories talk of a Maori maiden who was banished to the moon and can still be seen upon it. And of course, there's also a common idea of seeing a man's face on there as well. Earlier, I also mentioned that I had once heard that Jack and Jill from the nursery rhyme could also be seen on the moon. After some looking, I of course couldn't find the epic part of the nursery rhyme where Jack and Jill rocketed to the moon, but it has been suggested the story is related to the Gilfunkenink, a 13th century Icelandic story part of the Prosetta. This story features two siblings that are taken to the moon while fetching some water, so the similarities are there. Whatever you see when you look up at the moon, it's fascinating to think that for thousands of years, humans have been looking up at the same moon as we are, trying to imagine what could be up there. Number two. The Mid-Autumn Festival, or the Mooncake Festival, is a popular festival held all over Asia, but today we will focus on the Chinese celebrations. It is a lunar festival, so it is held on the 15th day of the 8th month of the Chinese lunar solar calendar, in order for the moon to be at its brightest. According to our story, Ho Yi chose this day to gift his wife, Chunga, mooncakes, as it was then that he could see the moon at its brightest. If some additional legends are to be taken into account, it is also when he is allowed to go and see her, but these tales seem to be confusing the story of Chunga with the story of the cowherd and the weaver girl, where they are banished to opposite sides of the heavenly river, aka the Milky Way, and only see each other once a year. The Mid-Autumn Festival has been celebrated in some capacity in China since the Shang Dynasty, but the festivals gained traction during the Tang Dynasty. The added part of the Tang Emperor and the two sorcerers, or magicians, told at the end of our tale is often used as a reason for the festival's popularity, with legends adding that on his return from the Moon Palace, the Tang Emperor began holding festivals for the lonely moon goddess. There are lots of ways to celebrate the Mooncake Festival, and different regions have different traditions, so we will focus on just a few. Lanterns and lantern riddles are popular during the festival times when families all gather and celebrate with mooncakes. Mooncakes, as mentioned earlier, are round pastries often filled with egg yolk, bean paste, or other fillings. During this time, some young girls would ask Chunga to grant them their romantic wishes and couples would confess their feelings to one another. The next Mid-Autumn Festival will fall on September 29th, 2023. Number 3. They say that there is always two things you can count on in life, death and taxes. And for as long as humans have been around, they have been trying to evade both these things. That's why there are so many tax evasion laws and why the USA loses nearly $190 billion every year due to tax evasion. On the other hand, people avoiding death have helped push science and improve medicine like never before. Some people may be sneaky enough to avoid most taxes, but death comes for everyone in the end. So, it's no wonder that people have imagined the idea that somewhere out there, there is the answer to eternal life. Sometimes, that's the fountain of youth, a philosopher's stone, or like in today's tale, it comes in the form of the elixir of life. Elixir life and the philosopher's stone are fascinating ideas because not only does that mean there is a way to immortality, but the implication is that it could be created, not merely granted by deities or found by chance like the fountain of youth but something that could be made and possibly shared. Of course, in stories, these items are usually relegated to being a MacGuffin, the item that everyone's chasing after to drive the plot forward. But in history, we can see this was a real pursuit that had some deadly consequences. And there is a long, long history of people trying to create these elixirs 
which often results in people ingesting various types of toxins. And oh boy, did that ever backfire. All that to say, the Lady of the Moon in today's story was lucky that the elixir she drank was a genuine article and not, well, mercury. Number four. The rise of fantasy novels from all over Eastern and Southeastern Asia has released a trove of folklore and fairy tales from these regions into general knowledge. Last year, I read a novella called Burning Roses by S.L. Huang, which featured the archer, but I never really made the connection to the story of Chang'e and the moon goddess. Recently, I read Su Lin Tan's Daughter of the Moon Goddess, which is book one of the Celestial Kingdom duology. The story gives yet another reason for Chang'e to take the elixir of immortality. She was pregnant. The protagonist of the story is her daughter, and she's forced to leave their castle on the moon and work in the Celestial Kingdom in order to find a way to free her mother from banishment. Tan's second book in the duology came out recently, and it is called Heart of the Sun Warrior. There is also Emily R. X. Pan's An Arrow to the Moon, which takes a modern approach to Hunter Yi and Luna Chang as high school students. Another prominent showcase of the Chang'e legend is in the more modern take of the story in Netflix Over the Moon. This was made in association with Chinese studios Pearl Studios. The story is based on a young Chinese girl named Fei Fei and her grief around her mother's death. After hearing about her father's remarriage, she decides to build a rocket to the moon in order to prove that Chang'e is real. Now, Chang'e is an interesting character in this story. Early in the movie, we have a lovely animation that resembles ink on paper of the two lovers and their story as told by her parents. And when we finally meet the moon goddess in the vast cold palace renamed to Lunaria in the movie, she has a pop song number and is dressed like a pop star. Not to spoil the rest of the movie for anyone who wants to watch it, but the story is quite wild. Finally, the two heroes both have representation in many video games, including in Smite, where both of them are playable gods. They also appear on Legacy of Lunatic Kingdom and Mobile Legends Bang Bang. And number five. When I hear about Neil Armstrong's first steps on the moon, I never hear about him meeting the moon lady or her bunny, and that's just disappointing. Of course, the reality is that space is super deadly and constantly trying to kill us squishy life forms. But that doesn't stop people from wondering what would moon people be like? A wide range of stories from all over the world speculate what kind of life could be on the moon. The series Sailor Moon has the titular character being the moon princess who was sent away to Earth for her own safety. Dante's The Divine Comedy describes the moon people as ghosts who are so pale that they are mistaken for a shadow. But ever since humans have landed on the moon and found no intelligent life out there, more stories in the moon have involved the idea of humans colonizing it, much like in the 2017 novel Artemis by Andy Weir, which explores some of the ideas and logistics if humans were ever to build a city on the moon. As always, if you want to see the show summary, notes, and the five fantastic finds, please check them out on our website, talesfromtheenchantedforest.com. If you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at FromEnchanted or Instagram at talesfromtheenchantedforest. Or, if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions. So if, if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard here today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. We'll give you a big shout out and our eternal gratitude. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you.